0: talking Smith about film listeners uh, Jack here, originally we did have a live stream podcast for you uh, once again that we did on Thursday night but such is the whole working from home lifestyle, we had some major technical issues during the live stream and the r- actual recording of it so we can't actually use that much which is a shame, it was a good podcast we reviewed Fast Day uh, Extraction, which is a new Netflix film. We might be able to slot that in somewhere. I don't know. We, we, shall, we shall see what happens. But I do do a second podcast now, and I thought we don't really promote it that much on Talking Spit about Film because it's a completely different format to what we do here on, on Talking Spit. So for this week, um, we're actually going to cross over with RIP Ticket Review. So if you haven't already figured out by now, we talked about it a little bit last week. Uh, The RIP Ticket Review is a new podcast I do with Dan Carver, who's a very good friend of mine. And back in the day, me and him used to present the RIP Ticket Show on on Punks together. A few weeks ago, we did a couple of Podcasts about bo- uh, box sets because we had nothing else to do, and and it all sort of evolved. And for the last three weeks, we've done podcasts about cult films, uh, movies which you generally don't hear that much about, and the stories that really make these films interesting it's uh, been a re- really fun podcast to do every week and this week we kind of regarded it as our best episode yet so we thought we'd put it out on the main mothership the Jack Smith podcast feed the-, the flagship podcast feed even so this week talking Smith about film is the Rip Ticket Review as well uh, so this goes out every Sunday you can watch it live 3pm on the Rip Ticket Show Facebook page And it goes out as a podcast a couple of hours later. Uh, But for all of you who haven't listened to the RIP Ticket Review, uh, this week we discussed Brandon Lee's seminal work, The Crow. Fantastic film. We we will review it properly on Talking Smear in the future. Uh, But just a word of warning before we do run the audio... The Crow is quite a heavy film, Uh, and as such, uh, there are elements that we discuss that might not be comfortable listening for some people. So if you're triggered by sexual assault and any of that horrific kind of thing, we recommend skipping over this podcast and going into the archive and finding something else. But if you are hanging around, sit back, relax, and enjoy the next hour's worth of of rip ticket review. I'll be back at the end to tell you the future plans for Talking Smith going forward. But for now, enjoy. <music> In a week where Lionsgate started putting out classic movies on YouTube, Georgia allowed the first cinemas to reopen with airport style security, and the talk of the UK was the letter R for some reason. What else would you need from a film podcast on two blokes talking about arguably one of the greatest sleeper hits of all time? Hello, wherever you are listening or watching, and welcome to the Rip Ticket Review, a movie podcast that has got through its difficult second episode stage with no problems at all. My name's Jack Smith, and joining me over the the power of the internet to talk all things the crow is the burn to my big heavy good afternoon dan carver and i know you've been incredibly excited to do this one
1: yeah me too the crow is one of my favorite movies of of all time i I think and just to talk about it there's just so much to talk about i I hope we can get it all done in an hour
0: i know it's gonna be interesting to keep this one down to an hour i mean we were just talking off air uh, I had my first experience of this film last night at time of recording, and I enjoyed it way more than I thought I would. You've, you've, been, I mean, I've known you for a few years, and every, you've always seemed to mention the Crow at some stage. So this is this is going to be a good podcast. I can feel it.
1: Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. The huge reason the Crow is one of those movies where I, I, I watched it and it stuck with me mm. for the rest of my life because of brandon lee's performance i'd obviously heard of it before and i was like yeah i'll get around to watching it and then the next time i heard about it was my mom saying oh it's not really that good which is fair enough and then i watched it i, I picked it up at a car boot sale you know because that was back in the days when we used to do those things um picked it up in like car boot sale in the big box of dvds and i watched it and i i got i was blown away and we get to we, i will tell you why I, I was blown away in this podcast uh but in order to understand the brilliance of the crow and i and i love this as well because like you say jack this is your first time watching the movie so i get to tell you all about this and you're going to see this movie in a completely different light at the end of this i've deliberately Do not understand?
0: written a review until now to because yeah
1: so to understand the genius and the impact that The Crow had on me and on many others as well. You have to look at the origins of The Crow and The and the Crow started off as an underground comic book by a man named James O'Barr. And James Obar was raised in, he's an orphan, he's raised in the foster care system. He was bounced around from orphanage to orphanage, didn't really form any strong links with uh, anyone and he self-taught himself how to draw bodies human bodies and he was sort of inspired very much by the classical works of art where people study the human form like michelangelo's david for example right and you can see this in the crow comic book which i have a copy of in my bookcase Saw that at my local uh, bookstore, and I was like, yes, I'll have ten, please. But I only got the one. Yeah. So he he learns to draw, and at some point during his life he, uh, in high school, he meets this young lady called Beverly. And this was Barr's love of his life. In the Crow Extended Edition, where they put all the deleted scenes, and yes, I do have that as on my DVD shelf. You there's a really great interview with James O'Barr and he the way he talks about Beverly, he describes her as the person that completes him. You know, whenever that there was something that Bar could complain about, Beverly would point uh in the would point out the positives and sort of helped, Be- and you know, the two grew up together, they gone through a relationship. And then sadly, Beverly was killed by a drunk driver. It happened out of nowhere, and Bar was dead. Devastated. And he was never the same since. Even to this day, he, he has never been the same since. So in 1978, after um Beverly's death, Barr enlists in the Marines and he illustrates combat manuals for the military. And then in 1981, he was living in Berlin at the time, he began his work on the comic The Crow as a means of dealing with the tragedy of losing someone that he loved to such a random violent act as a um, as being killed by a drunk driver. And he was also inspired as well by an article in a, in a Detroit newspaper he saw about a young couple being murdered over a $20 engagement ring. And in the comic, which took years to complete, because it was just James... Just got uh, one man doing it. He was a one-man army. He was he was doing the um, the arts and the lettering and everything. And in the crow, the, the protagonist Eric, his fiance, Shelley, are murdered by a gang of criminals. Eric then returns from the dead, guided by a supernatural crow, to hunt the killers. Although something that was really pointed out to me is uh, that I don't think, and I ha- I might have to check this again. I don't think in the comic it's ever mentioned that he's risen from the dead. And that there is a theory that actually he's just completely insane, which I, I thought that was rather cool, but I, I'll go with the risen from the dead. bit, uh, Please. So he keeps on working on the crow. And then during this time, a young uh, director who does music videos, he's cutting his teeth on music videos and he's been noted for his very interesting style. Uh, he goes by the name of Alex Proyas. Yep, yeah, a name which strikes fear into film critics nowadays. Free
0: words, gods of Egypt.
1: Yeah, but yeah, yeah. But the less we mention that, the better. Yeah, um, yeah. But before that, um, he Alex Proyas was given uh, the movie The Crow, and James O'Barr was heavily involved in the making of the movie. And that's pretty much how the movie came to be. Now, the movie itself had a very, very, very troubled making. Mm. And we're not just talking about the death of its star. Um, Many things happened on that set which made people think that the movie was cursed. So, for example, a crew member driving a cherry picker was electrocuted on the very first day of shooting Oh, I know he was uh, driving the cherry picker to set up lights accidentally fell into a ditch and all of his organs were burned he was about 26 his wife was pregnant at the time um, yeah the cherry picker went right into where the guy was lifted up it went right into an electrical pole Oh, yeah so that's one uh, a prop truck caught fire Nobody knew why. That was the third night of shooting. Uh, A stuntman almost got killed because uh, he. uh, I think he was preparing for a scene, and then the stunt person fell through the rooftop set, breaking multiple ribs when he landed, and then a carpenter was electrocuted. And the nine-week filming in North Carolina was plagued by hurricanes and freezing temperatures. You've also got a disgruntled sculptor who almost destroyed the set. Uh, There was an accident with a screwdriver where one member of the art department ended up getting a screwdriver shoved through their hand one day. Um, I mean, even Brandon Lee got injured because there's a bit um, halfway in, in the crow where you notice that Eric, in full crow get up, has black tape around his hand. Did you notice that? I did. I, I didn't notice that actually. That's that's a very good spot. You see that he's got black tape around his hand. It's because he cut his hand really seriously. But of course, they needed to continue filming, and the film was constantly behind schedule as well. The shoot was never on time. It wasn't just the, the like the temperatures. Um or, or the, with the crew essentially being electrocuted it seems but the you know there was only eight days to finish the film when you know during the time of the uh, after the accident had happened and when I say accident, I of course mean the um sad untimely death of Brandon Lee who was Bruce Lee's son. this was Brandon Lee's first major movie. Before then, he had acted in, I would argue, B-movie martial arts. And in fact, I think he wasn't, I think Johnny Depp was originally tipped to play The Crow. And not Brandon Lee. And then they they talked to Brandon Lee. I think James O'Barr talked to Brandon Lee, or Alex Proyas did. And then they were convinced that actually, yeah, Brandon Lee should play The Crow. Because he's read the comic book and his take on The Crow is brilliant. It's perfect.
0: And on top of that, he would have been able to add
1: a bit more to the fight choreography in the film because he did get the credit for fight choreography. Yep, that's correct. Uh, In fact, if you again watch the extended edition of The Crow, the interviews with Brandon Lee where he talks about the madness of his character would like I could watch those interviews all day, every day because they are so brilliant. And he comes up with a, a really poignant piece of wisdom as well about taking advantage of moments in life because you've only got a set amount of time in, in the world. I, I, I won't go on about the actual details of the speech, but seriously watch it. And it was really sad watching it as well. Cause yeah, um, he, he died in one of the scenes after a prop gun fired a real shell into him instead of the blank and it was the worst thing that's happened on the set of The Crow it is one of the worst things that's happened in Hollywood Uh, it happened on March the 31st 1994 what happened was the weapons master of the film was sent away for the day and the prop master filed a .44 calibre gun with blanks uh, without checking the barrel first and What had happened was they, uh, the gun beforehand had been used. And they, rather than use proper blanks, they had made their own dummy cartridges Mm. by removing the blasting cap from the bullet, emptying the gunpowder, and then putting the. Um, bullets back in the revolver so they could use it in close-up shots they accidentally did not remove the gunpowder from one of the bullets and so what happened was when the trigger was pulled in the close-up shot the bullet fired forward but it got jammed in the barrel nobody knew that this had happened the gun was then reused in another scene and this time it was filled um, with blanks. The bullets were taken out and they were filled with blanks, but there was still that bullet that was in the barrel. So when actor Michael Massey who played Funboy fired at Lee from a close range, the bullet in the barrel was propelled with enough force to hit the stem of his aorta in the stomach, I do believe where uh, one of the, his aortic veins. And Lee was mortally wounded. There was a series of unsuccessful blood transfusions. But ultimately, sadly, Bruce Lee passed away at 1.04pm on that day. And Hollywood was completely rocked. A young man had lost his life on set. When the movie was released this only heightened the sense of tragedy because Lee's performance on the film was incredible mm. and it would, no doubt propelled him to stardom. Many questions were answered, were asked Michael Massey, the actor never got over what had happened. He was the man that pulled the trigger. He had no idea what was happening. He had no idea what was about to happen. And even up until his death, at the age of 64, Michael Massey never got over the fact that he was the one that pulled the trigger. I think there were even talks about a murder prosecution at some point, which is ridiculous. I suppose the only good thing that came out of of Brandon Lee's passing was that when it was discovered the reason as to how such a tragedy could happen, Hollywood's strictly increased gun safety measures mm. so for example everything's obviously gotta be checked but on set I do believe and I mean correct me if I'm wrong but I do believe when people are pointing guns at each other on set they use camera angle trickery to yeah. make it look like you're, you're pointing the gun at the actor but in actual fact they're pointing the gun sort of elsewhere yeah, just over the shoulder, and that's a common trick used in acting for like props that have blanks, etc. Because of this movie and the tragedy that happens. So, yeah, after which the movie was released, there was only about eight days. Left to film in, they had to rewrite. The producers had to rewrite some scenes and film as minimally as possible, mm. using Lee's stunt double. Even using early CGI as well to superimpose Lee's face. For for nineteen ninety four, the CGI looks really good. Yeah, the the scenes that happen. There's the scene where um, Brandon Lee's character Eric is thrown out the window. The scene where he is in the watch... T- in his old apartment in the... I think it's like a bell tower or a watchtower. Yeah, bell tower. Bell tower. And... His young um, Ward's jelly is there. And she goes up and she's like... You know, realises that it's Eric who's in, the, who's in the makeup. And you see, as the sun comes up, there's the silhouette of... Eric, but you never actually see his full face That's because it's a body double
0: Uh, The rumour is that it was Chad Stahelski, the stunt double And hot fresh science fact Stahelski would Over 20 years later, he'd make a film Called John
1: Wick So this film's given us some good talent Yeah, definitely So they managed To wrap it up and they Threw the film out there and as you said, it was a sleeper hit and it's obtained a strong cult following as well. It was also the first installment of a franchise, which included three sequels in the television series. We don't talk about the sequels. No. Non-civilized conversation. <laughs> we don't talk about them. They're terrible. They are absolutely bottom of the barrel terrible. Um, I I try to ignore the, their actual existence. Um, one of them has who has um, Terminator 2, uh kid in it, doesn't it? What's his name? Oh, oh who's the kid in Terminator Two? Come on, help me out, Jack. I've gone oh, blank. I can't, I've gone blank as well. Let's ask you, old Google. Oh, mighty powerful Google. Who was the little? I was about to swear there. <laughs> who's the little kid? Uh, where are we? Two two. I'm trying to find it. That was it. Edward Furlong as um, one one of the um, the crow sequels has edward furlong in it Ah, yeah so that pretty much i mean his career was going nowhere at the start and that just pretty much sealed his fate which was um you know uh, there was also a book as well uh, written which i've only discovered of about five minutes ago and there was a television series a canadian television series as well um i, I only caught really a couple of episodes of that it was on like the sci-fi channel that yeah, it sounds like a sort of go on sci-fi. Yeah, before it became known as sci-fi, siffy, siffy, sounds like a short, cute name for syphilis. But then I don't know why <laughs> that. But anyway, the crow. Um, so the, the, let's talk about the plot. Yeah, the plot of the crow follows the plot of the comic book pretty closely. Mm-hmm. Changes a few things now. <clears throat> Bit of a trigger warning. Probably put this in the episode description as well, maybe. Oh, there'll be a warning um, at the
0: top of the episode
1: for podcast listeners. We've yeah, got everything Bit of a trigger covered. warning for for those who have joined us live. We are going to have to be talking about uh, sexual assault. And it's we'll a, be using the R words. Yeah, it's a very it's heavy been, film. It is a very heavy film. And most of the film revolves around a scene of sexual assault. In fact, that's the main character's yeah. motivation is to avenge se- sexual assault and rape um of his fiance. So please do be warned. Yeah, it's an um, eighteen certificate for very good reason. It is. Um so yeah. Here we go. So the plot of the movie the mo uh, the, the 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 movie follows the comic book quite closely. It does make a few changes from the comic in the comic. It's just a random chance that Eric and Shelley um come across these punks there on the roads br- uh, the car broken down these punks um are driving by see them kill them in a r- completely horrific random act of violence eric comes back from the dead wastes a lot of them mm. and then returns back to the afterlife in the movie they've obviously got to change a few things because there needs to be some sort of connection between the bad guys and the good guys other than random act of violence But then, as the movie continues on, it still follows the main plot of the comic book quite closely, which is Guy comes back from the dead, goes on a massive rampage of violence, and then returns back to the afterlife. So, yeah. The plot of the movie is Brandon Lee is playing a young rock and roll um, star, uh, Eric, Eric Draven. Who is engaged to a young lady called Shelley? And one night, when uh, Eric returns home to his top floor uh, a house apartment in the in a watchtower, he comes across uh, a gang of criminals who are beating and murdering his and sorry, beating and raping his fiance. Eric himself is shot. And he is then thrown out of the window, dead on impact. Shelley passes away from the injury sustained from said beating a few hours later. One year later, Eric is risen from the dead by a crow. And he discovers quite quickly that any damage he takes, any cuts or anything like that, they are very automatically healed. And he decides to use this newfound power to track down those who have, um, who essentially killed his wife and get revenge so that he may return back to the afterlife and see his love of his life again. Very simple plot. It, you could argue that it is an inverse of the rape revenge genre. Mm. Yes, there is a genre called rape revenge movies. Don't look at me like that, audience. I don't make these genres up. Um, but you could argue it is an inverse of that genre. The um, rape revenge genre is is normally um, for underground horror movies. Schlocks, I like to call them. Because you can't think of a decent plot. So, you just break out the sexual assault. And essentially, movies like I Spit on Your Grave, that's... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The big one, I think. A disgusting movie. Where a character gets raped and then they come back and they butcher all the attackers. And you could argue that this is an inverse of that. Where, actually, it's not the victim of the sexual assault, but someone that they love who died during the attack coming back. And... You know, going on a mass rampage, um, which you know I've got a little bit of I've got a little bit of time for that argument. So the film stars Brandon Lee as Eric Draven, a young Rochelle Davis as a young girl called Sarah. She appears in the sequel as well, um, although again we don't talk about that. I'm Pretty sure she doesn't either. Uh, Ernie Hudson as Sergeant Albrecht the police officer who is initially tasked to investigate the attack and then one year later finds himself on the streets demoted because he asked too many questions. One of my favourite ever actors, Michael Wincott, as the criminal boss, top dollar. And you've got all kinds of yeah, you know, this was like the early work for quite a few actors, you know, Lawrence Mason, Michael Massey, Tony Todd, John Polito, uh David Patrick Kelly, Anna Levine sophia shyness it's yeah um oh, i've got the characters bloody mixed up sorry it was so it was Shelley webster sophia shyness starred as Shelley webster um she appeared in the sequel not sarah sorry sarah was the name of uh, sorry not much sleep <laughs> but join <yeah>. the club <laughs> so yeah you have um a, a, a wide array of talent there and like i say this is Brandon Lee's best movie
0: mm.
1: by far. The movie is beautiful. I mean, Jack, yeah. you saw, you're very good at these technical details, aren't you? Yeah. You know how beautiful the movie looks with it, colours.
0: The way this film has been shot, and I know Price originally wanted to shoot this film entirely in black and white and there's a lot of the film noir element to it. The, the, yeah. the colour palette is deliberately desaturated at sure The studio didn't want to let him shoot on black and white film because it would have been a little bit more expensive, a little bit more, a little bit more complicated to shoot. But the way yeah. this film is shot, the cinematography from Darish Wolski, it, it's just perfection. Even the model shots of of the uh, the city that you see splashed throughout the film, it, yeah. it's a, it's, a, it's a technical marvel. I was it's sat really- here in awe last night watching it
1: brilliant use of bleached colors you are right either he, they wanted to film the movie in black and white to honor the comic book because the entire comic book is black and white so they wanted to honor that i'm glad that they didn't i'd rather much prefer the bleached colors i think watching it in black and white i have um i think there is a black and white version on 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 the um, extended edition but i have watched um black and white i've just messed around with the uh saturation the, and honestly, it no, it, it bleaches out way too much of the detail. Um, I think that would have. I think, although although um Eric Draven looks brilliant in it, don't get me wrong. but oh, yeah, yeah they got the character storm. right. Mm. But um, yeah, you are right. The, the city, the shots of the city look incredible. It's a city rotten to the core, where the police are powerless to stop this criminal gang, and. It, you know, Eric, there's this wonderful, you know, wonderful um, scene where Eric is playing the guitar on the top of a building. And, you know, it's sort of like a sort of shot throughout the city, isn't it? Mm. And it's, oh, it's so beautiful. The performances are top notch. Not a performance in this movie, which is wasted. Everyone does the best that they can with this movie. Um, I love Michael Wincott as well. He's named as Top Dollar, which is his name in the comic. But I don't think he's actually filmed Michael Wincott in this movie. Like he is second place to Brandon to Brandon Lee's best performance in this game, uh, game in this movie. Um, he you know his. Cool collected villain. There's never a moment where Top Dollar screams in rage. He's always so cool and collected. He's such a scumbag. I love it. Um, you've also got a brilliant performance uh, by Michael Massey as well as Funboy, the uh, drugged up maniac. There's a very memorable scene uh, where Draven, Eric Draven, goes after Funboy and Funboy shoots him point blank in the hand and as as, um, he's jumping around going he shoots he scores he watches as the bullet hole heals up in front of him. Such a wonderful performance. And it was actually an extended fight scene as well. There was a deleted scene um, where after um, I do believe it's when he goes into the bathroom and he um, chases away Shelley's mum and he says, look, go away. Be there with your daughter. Um, Funboy comes up with a razor and starts slashing at, um, at the crow, at Eric Draven. But the scene was—you you watch the scene. It's like it's a great scene, but it's unneeded. Mm. But it was still a good scene. And I do believe that's where also he uh, Bradley, uh cut himself. Ah, with, yeah, because uh, on on the um on the shaving razor. It was one of those old school razors that they use um but i've been i've been dancing around this long enough it's time to it's it's it's, time to actually sing the praises of this thing oh it's time to sing the praises of brandon lee um one of the great tragedies of his passing of this movie is that he never got to see how his performance was received it was critically acclaimed oh yes everyone can agree that this is the best performance ever there is so many layers to eric draven as a character brandon lee in the interview points out that if you were brought back from the dead to avenge someone that you really loved you would be a little bit insane Mm. and you would be very sad and you can definitely see it in eric draven there are moments when eric is completely depressed as he's talking about um, his his now dead fiance there are moments of seething rage as he's holding uh, one of the gang members at knife point there are just oh, there's so many layers to this performance it's like I say it's one I don't even know how to describe it it's, it's almost ethereal in a sense mm. his performance there's sort of makes this movie without Brandon Lee this movie would never have happened it would have just gone under the radar yeah but with Brandon Lee he elevates this from your average superhero movie because it is a superhero adaption. Yeah. it's been classified as a superhero um, adaption which surprised me somewhat because I wouldn't call the crow a superhero I but I, I can kind of see the reasons why but it, it elevates this from just an ordinary superhero adaption of the 90s to something that we're still talked about to this very day mm-hmm. and yes the crow with his iconic face makeup is responsible for many many people dressing up as the crow in comic book and sorry in in, in nightclubs on Halloween in hopes of looking really cool and sullen. There was even a wrestler who used the makeup. There was even a wrestler make use the makeup. Yeah, and in it, it, you know and it's responsible for these guys dressing up as the crow in hopes of finding um in in hopes of finding a girl for the night in hopes that he looks cool and mysterious. If you're one of these people, go home, go away. Get a personality. It works. Stop doing that. It's one of my favourite lines, actually, I, I, from from South Park, when because th- this was referenced in South Park as well, um, in Satan's uh, Sweet Sixteen, it was called, where Satan decides to hold a Sweet Sixteen birthday party, and he bans the crow for that very <laughs> reason, and I was laughing so hard, I almost, I, I mean, I was crying, damn shakes, I was like, yes, somebody else feels the same way as me. Oh, go watch the clip. I had I don't have the clip. I was meant to download it but I forgot. But go watch the clip. Uh Satan's sweet sixteenth the crow. Oh, which, which will, will try and track it down and stick it in for our podcast listeners um, it that episode gained notoriety because it had Steve Ur- oh, was it Steve Irwin? The um oh. Crocodile hunter Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of days after he died, um the episode aired and it was Steve Irwin in hell. Ooh. And he comes up and um, at the party and Satan's like, dudes, um, there's a great costume at all. But Steve Irwin's like not being dead for too long. Bit of bad taste. I'm not in costume. It really is me. It is Steve Irwin. And he goes, really? Well, you're not in costume, dude. you got to get it out. Yeah, I <laughs> got a lot of negative reaction because it was too soon after. it. Even I thought I was like, oh, bit on the nose there, a bit too soon. But, um, yeah, I love the Crow reference. Anyway, so, just over half an hour left. The title of the show is The Crow is a Gothic Romantic Movie. I do believe that there is a very strong argument to make that The Crow is a Gothic romance, more so than it is a superhero movie. And I think that it is criminally underrated that that has flown under the radar of quite a lot of people. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. If I'm wrong, feel free to contact us and let me know why. But I believe that The Crow is most certainly, if not in whole, as a part, a gothic romance-slash-action-slash-superhero-adaption. It's a hell of a title. So, why do i think that well let's have a look at gothic romance novels in the 18, in the late 18th and 19th century uh gothic romances were often mysteries and they often involved the supernatural and heavily and they were heavily tinged with horror and they were second dark backgrounds of medieval ruins and haunted castles now it's no mystery who essentially um murdered Eric Draven and Sarah. There is no, there's no mystery. It's made very clear, but there is a mystery in how the crow finds these people. And he's, and he's trying to, as he's plotting out his revenge and he's trying to figure out what the best, you know, he's trying to figure out where they are essentially. Okay. That's a bit of a weak connection. I'll admit, but there is no denying that there is supernatural elements in this. Hmm. There were originally horror elements in the form of a character called the Skull Cowboy, which was cut from the film. In the comic, the Skull Cowboy serves as a means to... to remind Eric of his mission and the pain that he goes through. He... and he's called the Skull Cowboy because he is a skeleton that wears a cowboy hat. This was originally in the movie There are deleted scenes that you can find in the extended version where they had filmed all the skull cowboys bits. But they were all cut out when eventually they realized, actually, we can take out this whole character and the movie will be absolutely fine. So there are horror elements. There is a monster that essentially guides the crow in the movie called the skull cowboy. His job is to essentially make sure that Eric stays on his mission and he gives him a little mission tidbits. and he is responsible for a major turning event in the movie, which I won't spoil. But again, they cut it out, so, you know, oh well. So there are supernatural elements. Also as well, the setting of the film... Again, when you have a look at gothic horrors, they're often set against dark backgrounds of medieval ruins and haunted castles. And, all right, so we're not in a medieval ruins, but the, the complete city that they are in for the whole movie is a complete ruin.
0: Hmm.
1: Would you... I mean, what what do you think in regards, Jack?
0: Yeah, I, I can sort of see what you mean by the whole city being a, a, a ruin thing. I got some at points with some of the model shots uh, I got serious Blade Runner vibes because it's this dystopian landscape that you see yeah. all punked down uh, cyberpunk-esque at points dare I say
1: well it makes a lot of sense considering that Prous then went on to direct Dark City yeah which is the best movie but yeah you are right there, there are sort of like these dark dystopian um, elements to these shots the bleached colours the only colour and life that is in this city is in the movie right towards the end where Eric watches two so watches a group of kids running in in Halloween costumes. And I think that's the only life that's ever shown in this city. Everything else, when you watch the city when you watch the, the movie, you just see that the city is just slowly rotting from the inside. So we've got the setting. But also, as well, the romantic side of things, as well, uh, it sort of comes into play here. Eric is on a mission of vengeance. He is looking to avenge the death of his fiance and her brutal murder, uh, torture, and rape. But his part in the event where he's thrown out of a window is very rarely mentioned in his mm-hmm. motives he is so distraught that the love of his life was taken he ignores all the things that happened to him and he focuses on his love His love of his life he focuses on the pain that she felt and that is his main his main motivation I mean how many times you watched the movie yourself yesterday how many times did he mention as a motive that him being thrown out of the window was a reason why he was going on the murderous rampage.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to trying to remember now because I've I've not had enough ill grays today. It's just dawned on me. Uh, uh, Old grey okay, running low. Please refill. Yeah, I'll probably top up after this. Uh, he he's very clear about what he wants to do, but he doesn't get on too much to his victims. He's like, I'm just here to avenge. He's just yeah. on his own doing what he has to do.
1: Yeah. He is essentially fueled by his love for his fiance that he has, that has transcended death, and has fueled his, you know, he, he has fueled his resurrection. Because it even says in the opening um, soliloquy, it says that sometimes when a soul is so sad from, you know, it's passing away it doesn't find pay- peace. Sometimes the soul is brought back and that's where the crow comes in. The crow is in the bird, the crow, uh, and resurrects, um, Eric, because Eric is so sad. He, Eric doesn't, you know, he, he accepts that he has passed on, but he uses, you know, his love for his, um, fiance, Sarah, And the rage that he feels, the injustice that his attackers have managed to get away. And he uses that as a motive to essentially bring Sarah and by extension himself, Sarah's death, some sort of, uh, what's the word? Um, Some closure. Yeah. That actually, whilst this has happened, at least the the perpetrators have been punished, and in a sense, it's kind of it. It's kind of telling in the sense of how much Eric Draven loves Sarah. He loves her so much, <clears throat> he is willing to transcend death. He is willing to take bullets. He is willing to take stab wounds and all kinds of punishment because the crow takes a massive battering throughout this whole movie. Oh yeah, he is willing to do that. To write a, a huge injustice that was placed upon his love. How how many how many people could you know can say that they love their partner that much? They love their partner that much that they would transcend death to come back and avenge them. That's a very gothic way, isn't it, of saying I love you? I wouldn't recommend writing that on a on a Valentine's card, by the way. No, thank God
0: Valentine's is over for another year. Just yeah, thank don't don't, thank do God God. don't do it. Don't do it.
1: Yeah, that's a weird. That's a that's a very weird Valentine. Uh, do you know what? there's yeah. probably some Valentine's cards out there actually. So, yeah. Right. but yeah. So there's that. I I honestly think that the crow is a gothic romance movie for those reasons. Um, if, you know, because everything revolves around um around Sarah. It would make more sense for Sarah to come back alive and um, avenge her death. But, uh, you know. But, yeah. <laughs> it's it's crazy. I love it. I uh, love it so much.
0: On top of that, I, I'm going to have to mention it. One of, the, one of the scenes that really captivated me last night was when we see Eric Draven put the makeup on for the first time and you have the almighty burn by the cure blurring oh, out. The soundtrack to this is amazing. I was soundtracks is absolutely amazing When the cinemas reopen I'm going to make a point Of asking the general manager of the local Here in Preston To try and get this film back on a big screen Because it needs to be seen on the biggest possible screen You
1: know what, I'm about to make an absolute prat Of myself now Because I've had my notes open all this time And I always bloody do this I always, there's a running joke Between me and my mates when I watch this I always get two main characters mixed up and i've been doing it the whole episode i'm such a prat for doing it um and it's i always well get fine where are you i get and we're live as well and there are people watching <laughs> um i always get the characters sarah and shelly mixed up in names eric draven's murder fiance is shelly sarah is the little girl that takes ke- that is eric draven's ward. oh my there's there's people that are that will be listening to this just going <laughs> And he's live on the internet! <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Can you edit that? Uh, we'll,
0: we'll try our best to edit round. I mean, a two-hour turnaround time for the podcast. So we'll see what, see what we can do. Gonna
1: do. What we're going to do, audiences, we're going to edit everything uh, in this in this, so that I actually don't make that mistake. <laughs> well, will <laughs> see I what I can do before do. six o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, Shelley is... The, the the fiance who gets murdered and Sarah is the young girl, who, <laughs> yeah, we don't talk. We have talked about Sarah the character quite a, a a bit actually, but he's he's essentially she she sorry uh, is essentially um, Eric Draven's link in the world, and she again she appears in the sequel, but we don't talk about that. Yeah, we don't talk about that. Um, and there's a really really there's a really sweet moment where eric gives a gift to double check this now gives a gift to to, to sarah which belongs to shelly um further cementing that everything about eric and his mission there's nothing about him it is all about the love he feels for his you know murdered fiance. So that's pretty much my argument for for the um, the crow. I can't believe I made that mistake. I absolutely. Well,
0: if anything, we might uh, have begun a nice little
1: rip ticket running joke. God no. But yeah, I've got I've just got the crow now out of my DVD case. It's the extended. It's the um, two disc uh, collector's edition. I'm looking at it right now. Um, I'm sure. Oh dear, I must have misplaced them. There were a couple of cards in here. Um for I think I think they have Brandon Lee, the picture on them, but I seem to have miss they seem to have not Oh, that's a shame. I seem to have put them so I don't know I've to have put them somewhere else. But yeah, the two disc collection of the crow. Um the second disc of course has Brandon Lee's last on screen interview where he talks about how how um, little time we have left on this planet, essentially. As individuals and how it's important to make every moment count. Um, The Sun said tremendously. Lee is excellent. Understatement. Uh, Lee is phenomenal in this movie. I love this movie very much. It's one of my favourites. I won't lie and, and I'll say yes, it is part of the reason why I had, during my young adult Years I had a bit of a goth phase going on. Um, and it was mostly inspired by this movie. The soundtrack is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Nine Inch Nails. Um, who routinely produce brilliant gothic sort of industrial tunes. And they are right at home here. Um, it, it, in the Crow. Right, I've got yeah. the, the Gallicca soundtrack here. Uh,
0: tracks from the Cure, the Jesus and Mary Chain, Rage the Machine, and Helmet, uh, alongside covers of Joy Division what? songs.
1: Oh, I thought it was Nine Inch Nails. Uh, there you go, see another mistake I've of made. Uh, and the Nine Inch Nails were involved.
0: I did see. Oh, uh, oh I was Red right.
1: Yeah, I was certain. I was, yeah, Dead Souls. Yeah, That's yeah,
0: guys, cover quite Yeah, they covered Joy Division songs.
1: all those bands. I was like, hang on a minute, where's Nine Inch Nails in that list? I- they made something there was definitely the, the cure were definitely um involved yeah, yeah burn is the
0: song, the song from the film
1: the song dead souls um which was played um when lee um draven eric draven um goes back to his home smashes the window and puts on the facial makeup and it's a great song listen to it um, so what did you think of, of the movie then, Jake? It was your first time watching it first yesterday. First
0: time watching it last night. I can see where a lot of the more modern films got a lot of their ideas in terms of character execution from. The way it was directed for a, for a one-hour-forty film, to have it all wrapped up in such a short time span, you don't really yeah. get many films like that nowadays. It's, it's nope. straight to the point. It's brutal. It's visceral. Uh, some of the fight sequences, I mean, we've mentioned Brandon Lee's talent as a choreographer, some of the fight scenes are up there in, i say, some of the best I've seen in many, many years. This film has got a lot of good qualities going for it, and quite rightly, it's become a cult hit. It's... Yeah. It's coming up on 26 years, uh, May 13th, 1994 was when it came out in America, so it's coming up on the anniversary, so we really couldn't be doing this podcast at a better time. Yeah, This is a film that has, for a lot of people, gone under the radar and I, I, can, I can honestly say I don't want to spoil too much because there will be a, a, a full written review going up on the com later tonight after yep. I've got all this podcast sorted. This is a film that I cannot recommend it enough. It's a film that should be tracked down, watched. So like we've all got a bit of time on our hands right now. It's a film that has to be seen properly to get the full experience. It's, uh, watch it with the lights out. Yeah, I watch it with the lights out in full 5.1 surround sound last night as well, because I've got a full setup.
1: There you go. Watch it with the lights out with the full. With, if you can with the surround sound, but definitely watch it with the, um, the lights out. Oh, yeah. Um i suppose um i suppose we have to uh, i suppose we have to talk about the sequels very briefly and yeah, why you the should sequels watch.
0: and the proposed yeah. but never actually happened remake because they were going to remake yeah. it
1: well the love of god people in the last 10 in the last five minutes um I'm, I'm watching people that have joined and it's fantastic that so many of my friends have joined hi everybody um thank you for joining and watching and you know, I hope I haven't made a mess of too much uh, in my mistake. But there were, I do believe, two or three sequels released of the movie, and they suck yep.
0: so the first one was nineteen ninety-six, The Crow City of Angels.
1: That one that one sucked, but it could have sucked a whole lot less. And then they made the nineteen ninety-eight Canadian television series Stairway to Heaven. Um, which from the episodes I saw, it was okay. Uh, And then it got really, really bad with The Crow Salvation, with Kirsten Dunst uh, starring as well. And it was loosely based on The Lazarus Heart, which was the novel um, of The Crow, which I did not realise existed. Oh, and... Um, after its mm-hmm.
0: distributor cancelled the intended release because of City of Angels' negative critical reception, Crow Salvation was straight to video.
1: Oh. That tells you everything. Now, it was received with mixed reviews. I do have mixed feelings to it. Sometimes I want to set it on fire. Other times I want to throw it out of the window. My feelings are very mixed on its demise. Before the next sequel was Wicked Prayer. That is the bottom of the barrel, and mm. that was the worst of them all. I, I, as far as I'm concerned, Wicked Prayer um, was ugh, no. Um, I watched a video review on it years ago. Um, I watched. I, I got about one quarter of the way through the movie, and then I was like, nope. Uh, it stars Edward Furlong, David Boreans and Tara Reid. Oh. <laughs> With a cast like that, you oh, know yeah. it's really great. And um, Dennis Hopper as well, and Danny Trejo. Uh, it was inspired by um, another novel. And it, oh, it's just it's just awful. And look, part of the reason why these movies are terrible, but the Crow original is brilliant is because that James O'Barr worked very, very closely with the Alex Proyas in the Crow. He has a cameo. Go back and watch the movie. There's a scene uh, in the scene where Eric is talking to Officer Albrecht in the streets. You see a man stealing a TV. That man is James O'Barr. Hey! That was his in the film. Because so I go back and watch it, Jack, and have fun with that. But James O'Barr was very, very heavily involved in the film. He got on very well with Brandon Lee. I mean, who didn't? Brandon Lee was amazing. Brandon Lee was the Keanu Reeves of the time. Very, yeah. Yeah. Um, which should tell you. In fact, Brandon Lee was originally tipped to play Neo, I do believe. In the Wagtoshi, in the Wokhtoshis, I can't pronounce the name. Annabelle, please, Carol. that those directors, the uh sisters, um the Matrix, it was originally meant to be Brandon Lee, that's who they were thinking of. But then, of course, circumstances transpired and it went Keanu Reeves. But yeah. James O'Barr worked very closely with the direction it, and you could really tell there was this sense of James Obar's, you know, feelings and tragedy injected into this movie amplified by Brandon Lee. That's what makes the movie great. There's none of this in the sequels, none of this in the TV, st- on the TV show um, at all. OK, as far as I'm aware, and I have not seen anything to counteract this, James Obar had absolutely nothing to do with salvation or wicked prayer. And there was a planned sequel um, called The Crow 2037, scheduled and direct, which was um, written and direct was going to be directed by Rob Zombie in the late 1990s, but it was never made. Thank God. And yes, there is a reboot. Don't reboot it, please. That uh, reboot,
0: got reboot uh, as of May 31st, 2018. Doesn't have a director, doesn't have a star. Um, Jason Momoa was attached to it at one point before Aquaman became a big success that arguably saved DC from more awful superhero films. Well, but, they, kept, they kept him above water, then Shazam. Oh, yeah. Shazam's, Shazam's turned a
1: profit, so water happy. Leave it alone. Leave The Crow alone. If you look at The Crow as a singular movie, as a singular product... You will. It is one of the greatest movies that you will ever see. If you treat it as a bit of a, as a as a franchise, I believe it loses its it, it completely. It loses, you know, what's great about it. It is not the whole point of the Crow. What makes it amazing is that it is a singular story. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It does not need a franchise. It does not need the superhero DC treatment. Leave it alone. Don't reboot it. Don't remake it. Just. Leave it as it is. And the Rotten
0: Tomatoes rating says it all 82% for the original film. 82%. 82%. Audience score of 90%. So that tells you how critically acclaimed this movie was.
1: Yep. Please do watch it. Watch it in a dark room. Enjoy it. I hope that this film you know really touches you and hits you in the feels as it does to me every time i watch it i highly advise people to go and watch the interviews this is one of the very few films where i would highly advise people to dive straight in with the making the direction the interviews what it's a fascinating story please watch it please enjoy it i'm not saying don't dress up as the crow for halloween but don't dress up as the crow for halloween to look dark and mysterious in the hopes that you get laid that's not what i want from this movie just enjoy the movie and you know i'll be watching this uh, on the anniversary of the movie i might actually watch after this to be honest I'll be watching it on the anniversary of the movie um it is brandon lee's finest performance to um ever and it is perhaps one of the finest performances in a leading by a leading actor in my lifetime that i have seen it's a proper heath ledger joker style moment for him yes when heath ledger passed away um and we i saw the joker my first thought was this is so sad it's similar to the story of brandon lee the greatest performance ever and sadly he'll never see it he'll never see how it's touched a cult culture he'll never see how you know, people like myself, it, changed, it essentially helped me, you know, in, in a sense, you know, in a dark time, you'll never see that. And it's a tragedy. But like I said, watch the movie. Enjoy the movie. If you've already watched it, watch it again. One of the best movies ever. Brandon Lee's finest. It's a gothic romance movie. It's a superhero movie. It's brilliant. The End Feels good to talk about a good movie on this
0: podcast for the first time after doing The Room, which was So Bad It's Good, good. and then and, uh, it's and, a great movie. I oh know. So bad it's good. Yeah. And then talking about Uve last week. Both well, movies are fantastic.
1: It, it was good to oh, talk yeah. about a good movie that is good for the right reasons. Yes. You know, the, the I yeah. But yeah, it was pretty good. Um next week. Right. <laughs> next week we talk about one of my favorite people to talk about ever the legendary frank dukes expect lots of bizarre details and plenty of disclaimers because apparently dukes is a bit litigious, heavy in suing people um he's kind of like the kanye west of martial arts now he'll sue anyone that says a bad name about him but we'll be talking about frank dukes and his involvement in the legendary Jean Claude Van Damme movie Kickboxer. Oh. Uh, not Kickboxer. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, now I've done it again. Um oh, I have to have a look at this now. Uh, well, I think he did help. Ha- he did um, do help out in the um, Kickboxer, but he also did. Um, I th- let's have Bloodsport. That was it. Oh yes. That is the most Van Dam of all Van Dam movies. Ask me how good that movie is. Go on, Jack. How good is Bloodsport? It's Van Dam good. Guys, good joke I'm using for the title. <laughs> it's Van Dam good, and we will be talking about why it's Van Dam good, and we'll also be talking about the legendary Frank Dukes. So, you've Jay. got that
0: to look forward to next Sunday from 3 p.m. live here on Facebook for our podcast listeners. If you enjoyed this, five star reviews on Apple Podcasts would be greatly appreciated. Uh, to get this podcast out to more listeners, I can exclusively reveal uh, I've had the first stats through from the podcast host. This is a bit of a banter. We've had 69 plays, nice, nice. Um, 69, dude! Yep. Uh, but yeah, uh, if you enjoyed Grip Ticket Review, uh, we're live on Facebook every Sunday from 3pm UK time. Uh, it'll be out, and then it goes out as a podcast at 6pm. It's a rapid turnaround, because we've got good at that. Uh, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Google uh, Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get all your audio from, basically. Uh, as we said, we'll be back next week with Bloodsport and Frank Dukes and the whole world of Van Damme. Uh, in the JackSmith.com terms, full written review of *The Crow* will be up later tonight, alongside tomorrow' brand new episode of *The Journal* to look forward to. So that's all the plugs for my content. Done. Uh, this has been a rip ticket review. My name's been Jack Smith. My name's been Dan Carver. Until next week, we will see you at the movies. Take it easy, everyone. Bye. Thanks. So that was the RIP Ticket review from this week. Uh, It's on a separate podcast feed, all of its own. So if you want to go and track down our other episodes, we've done episodes about Uwe Boll. We've done episodes about The Room, which is widely regarded as the Citizen Kane of bad movies. Uh, Plenty of material. There's like two... Well, we did two pilot episodes and then we launched Review as a Concept. So you've got at least five hours' worth of material to uh, to enjoy over on that feed. Uh, here on Talking Smith, all being well, we should be back properly next week. We had issues with the streaming software that uh, rendered uh, this week's episode unusable. We, we think we've got it sorted, uh, so we should, all being well, have a podcast for you either Thursday or Friday. We don't know. Uh, and we've got plans for reviews Through June, basically, which is brilliant. Uh, Also, while we're here, this is going out, same night, RIP Ticket's going out. There's a brand new episode going out on YouTube for the journal tomorrow night. Uh, It's not ideal timing, given the fact that the cinemas are closed, and it's an episode all about etiquette in the home of the big screen, but it's been in the works for a while, and knowing the plans we've got to bring the curtain down on journal season 2, There wasn't really any room other than now to put it out because we've got something crazy planned for June and then July, we've got proper co-writers coming in. It's uh, exciting times. Uh, But of course, uh, the whole reason why here no regular podcast this week but we've given you rip tickets so you've got something until Until we're back together my name's been Jack Smith you've heard me talk nonsense about The Crow for an hour and five minutes now until we're back together we'll see you at the movies